Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. Today with me, I've got a great guest. I've got Alex Luck and Scott Taylor, who are from Everest Wealth. And they have been in business for four years and we get to drill them on their journey of starting a business, what are their challenges, how they've gone, how they're setting up their business. And they're doing things a little bit different. So I think you'll get heaps of value out of this episode. And if there's anyone in your network who you think will get value out of it, please flick them an email, flick them a message. They've been thinking of you, love you long time. Have a listen to this episode. I think you'll get value out of it. Awesome. Enjoy the episode. So thanks, Alex and Scott, for joining us today. So just first off, um, give us an understanding about your business. What do you guys do? Who do you guys work with? Uh, thanks, Phil. Yeah, great to uh, great to be here having a, having a chat today. Um, so yeah, me and Scott, both financial advisors. Um, we started our business, Everest Wealth, uh, a little over four years ago now. Um, so it feels like it's been been 10, but um, it's only been, been four. Um, so yeah, plenty of ups and downs on the, on the journey uh, so far. Predominantly sort of work in more of the, I guess, millennial space, uh, which wasn't sort of, I guess, the original plan when we when we initially sort of started out. Um, but yeah, sort of the way that the cards have fell and the opportunities that have been presented, that's that's sort of the space that we're, that we're playing in at the moment. And, and what was the plan when you first started out? Did you want to work with retirees or like what, help me understand that? What was your thinking? What did your Excel spreadsheet tell you you were going to do? Scotty, you want to answer that one? Yeah, so when we when we started, we um we actually started with the name of Everest Private Wealth. Um, we've had a, a rebrand since then, which we can talk about in a bit. But when we started, it was more aimed at the uh, the medical space, um, and and not your kind of top end anaesthetists and surgeons, but more your allied health, so paramedics, nurses, ward doctors, is really what our aim was of of any age um, when we started. And and what is what is the word private? What does that actually mean to you guys? So you were Everest Private Wealth, now you're Everest Wealth. What's the what's the di- difference between the two? Well, yeah, originally we had um, private wealth in there because I guess we were going for more of that sort of doctor's space to begin with. Um, so we wanted to sort of I don't know make it sound more impressive, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good when you're starting a business. There's all these things to think about like, oh, how do we, you know, my my business name originally was Thompson Financial Services and the whole reasoning around that was not because I thought it was a good name, was because I look like I'm 12 years old now, not so much. I've got facial hair, which took me like three years to grow. but top when, I, when I started, I was thinking, well, I want people to know that I own the business because I look like a 12-year-old. So, <laughs> I'll, call it, I'll call the business after myself um, so they automatically know that and knowing that I would change it later in the future. But it's, it's really funny hearing that, you know, we, we use the word private wealth so we could, you know, talk to higher-end doctors and, and sound more, um, more impressive to people. And then, you know, four years down the track, you're like, well, that means nothing and who can, no one actually cares about it. So, let's just simplify it. Yeah. And it was also like, is this potentially having a detrimental effect as well? Because people particularly looking at that and going like, oh, that's private wealth, which is, I mean, I don't think most people sort of thought that, but like, yeah, people definitely coming from 
banking culture and stuff like that, when they see private yeah. wealth, they think, you know, high-end. We mm. would have never known the people that um, went on the website and, and didn't proceed or didn't reach out to us because of because of that. So, we wanted to remove that potential barrier. That's right. And, and yeah, and as you said, I don't think it like adds to anything, but it, it may, it may, you know, detract people from thinking that, oh, hey, maybe, maybe they're charging too much or we're not earning in a high enough income. And, um, and so who, who are the clients that you're working with today? So you came in thinking we're going to work with doctors and allied health professionals and maybe not the high end, but, but the, the middle tier. Who are you working with today? Yeah, so we we still do a lot of a lot of medical stuff um, with yeah that sort of the I guess mid level um, medical. Um, but I guess what sort of changed was when we sort of started out, we were sort of I guess more um, open to I guess sort of any sort of age group to to begin with. Um, but then as it sort of yeah ended up playing out and stuff like that, um, sort of between twenty to forty five really became our our sort of sweet spot. So that sort of millennials and sort of older older Gen Z um, is what we started to really enjoy working with. We still do have pre retiree and some retiree clients, um, which are often like maybe the parents of existing clients and stuff like that. But we just don't actively seek that work and. The reason I think that sort of came about is after the first year or so, me and Scott just sort of went, well, we don't really enjoy that part of financial advising as much. Like we're, we're accumulators ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm 33, Scott's 34. So we're sort of going through that that natural phase ourselves of starting families, getting married, buying houses, having kids, all those sorts of things. Um, and we just found that, yeah, helping people around sort of our, our ages was just, it was just more enjoyable. It was more fun, to be honest, more relatable, I guess, as well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, one question I have for you guys is: is why did you choose to start business together? Well, we didn't at the the start. It kind of came about. Um, so I, I was in the the corporate world as a as a BDM for for insurance companies and super funds. That's kind of my background. And Alex was kind of a, an employee uh, at a couple of private firms um, before this, and and we knew each other through that kind of BDM advisor relationship and. Um, I, I didn't have a degree behind me, so it was kind of coming up to that time where uh, I had to get in or, or had to go and do a degree um, and do all that study. Um, the end of 2018, I think it was, where the, the rules changed. Um, so, so me and Alex played played golf every every quarter. We were a couple of other advisors, and um, we just got chatting. and And Alex was kind of looking for his his next move, and I was. I was looking for mine to get into the the financial advice industry because I didn't feel confident in, in just jumping out on on my own from from never giving advice before um, to to doing that by myself. So um, yeah, we got chatting and and kind of went to different interviews and the same interviews with the same kind of people looking for financial advisors. And at the end of it, there wasn't really anything that either of us uh, it leapt out at us. So we. One day after golf, it was a throwaway comment on a Friday hour after a couple of beers. Why don't we start a? Why don't we give this a go ourselves? And um, I kind of slept on it at like six a.m. the next morning. I text him saying, "Yeah, let's do it." And I think Alex thought I hadn't had any sleep yet, and I was still still drunk <laughs> or something. But plan, um, yeah. Yeah. I thought he had a big one, so yeah, I think I, think I yeah. threw it away sort of as we were both getting into the car. And then yeah, he texted me at six thirty the next morning saying like. Yeah, why don't we do this? And I was like, "Have you been been on the source all night or something? Yeah, What's going right. on?" Here? <laughs> um, so yeah, then it then it just then we just spent the next kind of month out of hours from our uh, kind of eight to five job at the time, um, just working on what it looks like and what we're targeting, getting getting stuff kind of somewhat established for for day one. Um, 
which yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I mean, Alex, it, it kind of makes sense being an employed advisor and and going out on on your own business. But for yourself, Scott, going from a BDM role, jumping jumping the fence, um, and going to the dark side of, as advisors. So, um, what was the what was the driver around that? Because you know, as a as a BDM and working in corporate, you can kind of build yourself a, a decent salary and, and keep you know going up the corporate ladder. So, why did you want to move across to advice? Yeah, so there's a there's a few few reasons. The first one, I, I grew up in Adelaide and then um, yeah, moved to to Perth with Westpac at the time for a job, which was only meant to be twelve months, but ended up becoming permanent. Um, and and before that, when I finished high school, lived in London for a year, and and the big city didn't really do it for me. Whilst I like visiting Melbourne and Sydney, it wasn't really something I wanted to pursue longer term and and kind of set myself up there and and kind of as you climb the ladder you very much reach the top in in Perth and Adelaide at the state state manager level in pretty much all companies which then very much has a ceiling on on your wage a very mm. very good ceiling but it, it does have a ceiling and I just looked at, at colleagues at the time who were um, kind of 10 20 years older than me um, and built very good lives and, and very happy but I couldn't see myself doing that role um, and, and selling a product per se for for the next 20, 30 years of, of my life. So it, it kind of, I'd been thinking about it for a while and it was a good thing with the, the changes in legislation. It kind of forced me out. Otherwise, I probably would have hung around for an, a, a year or two and, and put a bit more wealth behind me. Um, but in, in hindsight, it was it was very good because it forced me, forced my hand um, and, and, and moved me out. And yeah, so the main reason was, um, Working my own hours, my own lifestyle, which is a hell of a lot more hours and no yeah, lifestyle now. Right. But <laughs> giving up, giving up the nine to five to do you know sixty hours and and get yeah. paid less and, uh, and less money, yeah, less money, hundred <laughs> percent. And and that's really interesting that that time frame because you know I speak to a lot of BDMs who are thinking about it, and I just say to a lot of them like. Once you start getting higher in your position, it becomes very difficult to leave that very solid paycheck and be paid a lot less for a lot longer period of time because it is it is a bit it is a hard slog being an advisor. Um, no guaranteed income, you know. So it is it is hard to jump that fence. But I guess that that time frame, a lot of people think about doing it, but they, you know maybe next year, maybe next year, and then ten years later they've they've you know a state manager and it's too hard to move because they've built up big mortgages. But you having that deadline, well. You either need to move now, or you've got to be a new entrant to to the industry, and which is a bigger barrier, um, which is kind of good. Force your hand to to either say I'm doing it or I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was good good in that turn. Um, but and at the same time, I was um, I was single. I had a mortgage, but it was very much I was I was ahead on that and made sure I kind of me and Alex put put a bit of money behind us so that. Neither of us had any financial stress. If there was no money coming through the door for the first six to nine months, um, we made sure we took out kind of twenty grand credit cards. Not that we were going to use them, but just as a an emergency buffer on top of the cash and and stuff we had as well. Um, knowing that we probably couldn't get a credit card, as an example, if we weren't earning income after starting a business and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And I, I like I like your business at the moment being four years in. So. Um, how how has it been in terms of like what are the difficulties that you guys have faced? Like what was you know what did your Excel spreadsheet tell you you're going to do, and what was reality? Um, and was there a big difference? Did you outperform your Excel spreadsheet or underperform it? Help me understand those kind of first few years. Yeah, so I think largely we've outperformed all of our expectations so far. Um, 
Which is sort of why me and Scott, I think, work so well fundamentally as well, because we both don't like to just hit the goal. We like to beat the goal, I guess. So we try and set ourselves a pretty difficult goal. And then I guess we both kind of feel like we haven't achieved it unless we beat it, if that sort of makes sense, as opposed to just achieving it. So yes, whilst we did set aside some parameters and stuff like that, when we started out, you know, I think I only had three months of living expenses saved. Like it wasn't probably as much as you're supposed to really have. Um, and I, I mean, if need be, my my missus has a very stable and decent paying job, so you know she could have helped out with the mortgage need be. But I didn't want to rely on her, so that to me was the real drive to to get up and going and and start start making money. Um, so we started being able to pay ourselves, I think, from month three, um, which was was which I think was a pretty good achievement given that, you know, in financial advice, there's obviously normally a three-month lag between getting paid. So we were pretty much hitting the ground running um, on day one with, you know, trying to meet clients and, yeah, scrimping and, you know, around to try and get some money in the door sort of thing. Um, yeah. And then, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I've started rambling. Well, yeah, no, just, just about the difficulties. Now, oh, I mean, sorry, yes, you know, yes, you're so- telling me it's sunshine and, and rainbows, um, which it would be great if that's reality, but I'm guessing it's probably not the, no, the so full the biggest- picture. Yeah, so the biggest like reality check is like we knew it would be hard, um, but it's not as hard as you think until you've kind of done it. So it's definitely like to me, it's like the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also been the most rewarding thing as well um, as part of that. And it's particularly great. I've really enjoyed working with Scott and having a business partner because I know you went out and did it by yourself, Phil. So, but to me, psychologically to have no one side by side with you in the trench, I think would have been harder. Um, I'm much happier, I think, and I work a lot better knowing that I've got someone right next to me and I'm more than happy then to share the spoils 50-50 sort of, of, of our hard work. So that's, that's that, I think that's really helped me personally and having Scott there the whole time to be like, oh, you know, we're, we're stuffed because of this situation or well, what, a, what a win we just had. Like, you know, we can sort of celebrate the highs and lows. Um, but in terms of, I guess, the difficulties, yeah, the more the more successful you are, the more complexity sort of comes with that. Um, so, you know, for example, we um, are now looking for a, another place to rent again. Um, so that is is quite hard. We've we've been burnt on um, commercial leases <laughs> three or four times now, just getting slightly burnt, less burnt each time. Um, so those those are some things that you, that you learn as part of that. And then I guess probably the the hardest thing. Um, in professional services is trying to sort of scale up to a point where you can sort of reduce your exposure a little bit by yeah hiring good people that then have the same hopefully you know values and morals of yourself and and the business to sort of continue that drive that's a i think that's a constant a constant struggle um to get that sort of balance right um, within your business as well but yeah, yeah, we cool. definitely exceeded expectations early on in terms of the the clients and where they were coming from. Um, so that was something that we we from the Excel spreadsheet the 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 amount of clients that we were seeing we we didn't anticipate, and we we probably weren't geared up enough early on for that uh, immediate hit of the initial clients that were walking through the door. So hindsight again is a, a great thing, and and there's only so much preparation you can do when starting a business um, and looking back if we had have done more we would be in a a lot further down the line now as well um, and and what were the learning curves for you Scott not not because had you ever worked in an advice firm prior to no never no, you fresh no. never in an advice firm only yeah. corporate with with big resources and big red tape so how what was the big kind yeah. of difficulties of of jumping out and, and starting a small business 
So yeah, firstly, it was the, the the discipline of making sure yeah you're at your desk and and working at eight or nine in the morning and keeping that 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 uh, consistency with with what you're doing and because it's very much easy in the the first kind of month or two to oh, I'll just go to go to the gym at ten a.m. and then I'll go get a coffee or I'll I'll do this I'll finish early and that and then before you know it a month's passed and yeah so it's that discipline um, I found relatively difficult at the start um, and then the second thing that was super hard for, for me was um, the, the conversations with clients so uh, I think I was I'm pretty good in terms of um, building rapport and and um, and that but actually selling yourself and what you can do to help uh, someone in a particular situation I, I found most difficult um, but that's why yeah myself and Alex complimented each other because he'd been through kind of a, a bit of a process in his his previous firm and and um, kind of brought some of those ideas into our new firm and and he, he very much spent six to 12 months teaching me that Um mm too so yeah that was probably the two hardest things was the um yeah yeah making sure you're disciplined with your day but then also the 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 building um getting clients to to say yes and and move forward with you yeah cool and so help me understand kind of your your service model and your business so what type of advice are you guys giving and um and what does that look like yeah, so we provide, um, you know, complete holistic financial advice. Um, holistic is a term I don't think is too used outside of the industry, but obviously most people listening will understand what that means. So typical sort of client that will come through, well, yeah, will need help with um, either establishing some goals or, or refining their current um, goals that they've got. Um, they'll need help with cash flow, not necessarily, well, some, some will need help on the budgeting aspect. Others will just need basically improvements to, to their budget. So, you know, a pretty common thing we'll say is someone sort of set themselves a budget and we go through it and it, it looks great, but then they haven't maybe factored in, you know, holidays as an example throughout the year. And then it's sort of going, well, I assume you're going to want to like take a holiday. Oh yes, I probably would. Okay. So we need to sort of, you know, basically fix that up as part of it. Um, we do a lot of superannuation advice insurance and then normally help with a bit of estate planning as well um, so that's typically sort of how it goes most of our clients goals are you know buy their first home buy their first investment property commence investing so we deal with a lot of first timers um, is basically sort of I guess the the area that we that we predominantly play in and then in terms of how that looks as well we probably position ourselves a little bit different to maybe more traditional um, advice firms in that we do a lot of one-off advice as well. So we don't have a, a massive um, ongoing client book or, or anything like that, which which is which was by by design when we sort of, I guess, set it up and sort of niched in terms of how we were going for because a lot of the clientele that we have, they need that initial advice and they're happy to pay for that sort of initial setup and implementation. But then, you know, if it's you know, commit X amount of money to sort of this this portfolio going forward and X towards savings, then you can buy a house in, in sort of two years' time. And you now we largely try to automate that for them. So they don't really then, then need to go and pay us two grand a year for us just to say, you know, have you, you know, kept kept doing the exact same thing we sort of said before. So um, and I think a lot of people appreciate that as well. So, um, and we sort of, we, we frame that as well when people come in that, you know, we charge a one-off fee for the advice and the implementation, um, but the the ongoing fee is completely optional. And then, and basically, the clients will decide throughout the process whether they want that ongoing help and accountability, or, or they don't. Yeah, cool. I mean, that that is very different to a lot of um, you know fee for service kind of um, planners out there. And and what's the kind of 
reasoning around that. Why don't you just do what everyone else is doing? <laughs> well, for me, um, I really enjoy that initial process in all honesty. Like I like meeting new people. Um, I like, you know, and, and I like being able to help people. And I found sort of with the businesses I was in before, it was all around about, yeah, meeting new people, but then they become ongoing clients, like sort of every time that's sort of like part of the deal. And the issue I kind of had with that was one, I didn't think they always needed ongoing help per se. So I didn't think they were getting full value. Um, but two, then I guess you just think kind of basically your book gets to what, 200 people, 250 people maybe or, or client groups um, as an advisor and then that's just who you work with what, forever sort of ongoing. Um, mm. To me, it just, I, just, I just don't think that's particularly fun as well as part of it. Like I like, I like the initial process. I like being able to help as many people as we can and if you, if you bog yourself down in, in ongoing with every single one of them, you're going you're gonna to fill up pretty quick. And so I guess in terms of that, that methodology is we was that thinking around hey we just want to keep meeting new people because that's fun and enjoyable and and that's what we want to do or is it also a we don't want to set ourselves up to be put in a box because as things change we want to you know move our business and be able to go like if we want to build an ongoing business we can approach the the top 100 clients that we've worked in with the past and say hey we can provide this ongoing service and it'll be real value to you yeah, absolutely. So definitely the the latter, like because we don't have a huge ongoing book, we've been able to change tact a couple of times throughout the or, or sort of pivot our um, our strategy. You know, probably four or five times over the last four years as a result because we don't then have that legacy, right? So it's really useful from that perspective. And the game plan, I guess, around it originally is because we are seeing so many clients probably compared to other advisors. Like we we'll, we typically have anywhere from sort of twenty. Well, anywhere from sort of 15 to 25 new client groups per month, we're getting that volume. And the way, again, it's pitched to the people that don't want to go ongoing, which is obviously perfectly fine, is we're now starting to see because some of them that we saw in that first year come back, right? Because they're like, hey, guys, we've now achieved this. We've purchased the house. You know, we've had a kid or something's happened. Like, what's what's our next plan? And then they're happy to then repay another one-off fee um, for that, that, I guess, that next yeah, that next sort of financial plan that they're they're now ready to take on, and and that's really interesting, and and that's kind of the the thing that I would probably do differently in the past when I was doing holistic advice or full service advice is is a similar thing of going look at the end of the day these clients are you know essentially ongoing fee for service clients, but it's just not official if they don't come back to us we know you know. 15, 20% will come back every single year. And so, therefore, essentially, it is an ongoing, you know, yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of um, model. It's just, it's it's just, just building, building that base. Yeah, building that base so it's large enough that then, um, yeah, like you said, it's just instead of everyone or having the, the formal annual review and all the paperwork and compliance that goes with that, is yeah, it's, it's one-off advice. And then in three years' time, we know, like you said, half the time they're going to come back for their for their next sort of stage at that point in time and then getting the the client base out there big enough that then like you said it, it almost becomes an ongoing model within itself mm. and and i guess i mean most advisors listening to that going well 15 to 25 clients new clients a month is like how the heck are you doing that because as, as you kind of articulated most advice firms are kind of getting to a a certain level, spending the first five, 10 years, getting to that kind of cap of 200 clients, 250 clients, and then, you know, they just service them ongoing and there's very little new business coming in because they're just servicing their existing client base. Like 25 new clients a month is, is a significant number. So, are you guys like 
in terms of that's your business model, you're reliant on that. Is that keep you up at night going, if those 25 clients don't come in, we're, we're kind of stuffed? Uh, um, it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't um, because over the last four years, Phil, we've always found, I guess, a way to make it work and there's always been new avenues and there's plenty of people out there of all ages looking for advice and there's, as we know, there's not enough advisors to service them. So it doesn't honestly keep me up at night. Like when we when we started, we were running seminars. Um, we did about six in the first kind of seven, eight months. We haven't done a, a proper seminar here in Perth for two, three years. Now, COVID obviously hindered that, but we also, one, haven't needed to and we, we don't have the time to. So if one of our key referral partners dropped off that is kind of feeding us quite a few of these leads, then yeah, we'd we'd have a little bit of short term pain, but we've we've also got a, a big kind of trail book with the insurance commissions that would keep us going, and and there's enough in the pipeline, and that would give us enough time to go seek a, a, another area to to kind of try and get into as well. And so, just touching on that, like most most advice firms, they they look at that ongoing and go, if we can build that ongoing, then we can we can build in staff because we can rely on that, and and for you for you guys in terms of scalability and how to grow, you're thinking about if we can just get more people in the top of the pipeline um, for us, then we can hire for that. We can, you know, build a business model around that. Is that the way you're thinking moving forward is is just getting more referrals in and knowing you're servicing them really well and, and then um, building your team around that? Yeah, I think um, that's that's pretty much the plan. Um, you summed it up pretty well there. And it's something that obviously takes a lot longer to build and takes on more risk. But then I think it is then more sustainable in the future because then it becomes less and less about me and Scott and more and more about the company. Because say, you know, you, you know you've come in and you've received financial advice and you, you had a great experience. And then, like I said, you sort of hit your milestones and you're coming back three years later. You know, it may be a case that, well, me and Scott would still possibly be here, but you you may be more open to dealing with someone else within the company because you had such a great experience to begin with. It wasn't as much about like, I really loved Alex or I really loved Scott or something like that. I actually really loved, I loved Everest. I loved the experience. Um, and we, we do also try to explain that to clients when they come in and see us as well, is that, you know, someone will be the lead, there'll be an associate, but we do try to get a couple of people involved throughout the process for the client as well that they meet so that again, they're not just all about, you know, Alex Lux, you know, is is the advisor and it's his advice firm or something like that. It's no, I'm I'm part of Everest and and this is sort of what Everest has to offer. Yeah, and and with that, Phil, um, all, all the advisor codes where we can uh, will be Everest Wealth codes. They won't be Alex and Scott. So it's not like that's my client, that's Alex's client. Um, it's very much the the business. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And I mean, that's similar to how we think about it. The advisors uh, is the key relationship. They're the ones providing the advice. But as a, as a business, Sky, you're talking to a lot of different people and we're helping you get your insurance in place. And so it's not, I, you know, I talk about with the advisors in the business, like the advisors aren't the hero. I'm sorry, but like everyone in the business is really extremely important in helping, you know, our clients get insurance in place. And so it's, you, I'm not the hero the advisors aren't the hero. Everyone in the business is is helping us do really important work. Um, so, yeah, we're very similar. So, in terms of just in terms of your business model, so, you know, this could be my assumption or, or the way I thought about it when I was running a, a full-service business was it's very difficult to make the upfront work profitable. You've got to do a 
a lot of work for those clients and and so that initial advice fee needs to be pretty significant if you're only doing, you know, one-off pieces of advice. And so most advisors, if I was to make an assumption, they think about the ongoing as, okay, that's where we can start making these clients profitable. Um, so how do you guys think about, you know, pricing it to make sure you're competitive but also making sure it is profitable knowing that they may never come back to you? Yeah, so we've we've gone through a few pricing reviews from from the word go. We've probably probably had one a year, which I think's important to do as a business. Uh, and and we're always kind of relating that to to what's out what's happening out there in the market. And we're definitely not going to be the cheapest, but we're not the the most expensive. We're probably a, a bit above average uh, in terms of what we would charge from a from a one off upfront perspective. But over time, we've we've tried to. Not, not so much cut our costs, but just put our resources into to different areas. So we've um, we've started to outsource overseas, and and kind of that data entry and some of the initial strategy work is now done with some virtual assistants and stuff like that. Which then means the the local team who 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 generally um, they. they they cost a bit more to, to hire, um, can do more valuable stuff like client interaction and um, things like that. So we've, um, I guess, from from my background and, and kind of BDM practice management side um, was that that's one thing I could bring in was more of the, the spreadsheets and, and the cost to serve analysis. Um, so we, we, we do do that at least once a year to make sure that the upfront side is, is profitable and it definitely is profitable for, for us. Um, yeah. yeah. And if I could just add to that, it's, um, yeah, it, it is profitable. I mean, it's still relatively skinny in terms of the margins and stuff like that, but that's where I guess we we're we're a volume play business, much like obviously what you're doing with with Sky right now, Phil. So that's why we can have, we sort of have that fifteen to twenty five new client groups um, a month because our process has become and we're continually working on just streamlining it more and more to make it more and more efficient in the back end. Um, and that's then how we're sort of starting to make it more and more profitable, I guess, as well as part of that. And so the I mean the the thing I know listeners will be thinking in in their head is like you know if you're a volume business do the clients suffer do they not get the love and care and attention and the hugs and the kisses that that they deserve with with a you know a lower volume higher touch business how do you guys manage that so the way i manage that or think about that all the time because that is probably something that keeps me up at night well something that i think about a lot i guess to make sure that the client experience is still really good is that um when we then go into these meetings so like you said the advisor is definitely not the hero or anything like that they're just part of the uh, you know a cog which is part of the machine but largely me and scott are, are playing that role still at this point in time so when i go into meetings i I basically I give it my all <laughs> effectively to make sure that they do have a great experience, um, and I'm able to do that because the back end is now quite efficient, quite smooth. It's well prepared, so I can go in, um, you know, fully prepared um, and be able to present to the client and, and make sure they they have a great experience um, as part of that. I guess another thing we do, which again I, I don't know heaps and heaps of other advisors or anything like that, but and this could be completely wrong, but anecdotally from what I've sort of heard is most people's process might be, you know, initial meeting or discovery meeting or whatever they sort of want to call it. Then they might have a strategy meeting, then they've got their final. So they might typically do two to three meetings throughout the whole process. We average closer to four um, as part of what we do. So we have an initial meeting. We will then, for most clients, do two strategy meetings and then we have a final meeting. Um, and that is obviously a cost of, you know, additional time and cost of the business and stuff like that. 
but I think then the results we get um, from a client outcome and mainly a client satisfaction point of view, I think is significantly higher. So therefore, we do have a lot of clients that prefer other people because they go, this was a great experience. My hand was really held throughout the whole thing. I understand um, everything that was presented to me. I felt comfortable. Um, And yeah, these guys are, they're not trying to rip me off um, and they are providing value. Yeah. And that's really interesting because it, um, you know, I look at you know, the whole reason I do this podcast is because I just want to learn from other people and why, what do I do and compare it, you know, how do I do stuff better? Um, so, that's literally my only motivation to do this podcast yeah. and I hope people get value out of it, but it's all about me at the end of the day. Um, and so, the way I think about my business is I look at, at the end of the day, people just want insurance. If they can click their fingers and get insurance at the quality and, um, at the, and get the education, then they would. They would do it without me. Um, and so we are, we're a service provider and, and so I think about it, how do I educate clients at a way that they can be educated and they can be engaged as much as they want through additional videos, through additional education content that we can give them throughout the process. But at the end of the day, it's a 15-minute phone call and, a, and an hour meeting with us um, and so and the rest is collated and collected in the background. So I think my clients would hate having four meetings just to get insurance but yeah. it's because we're doing different things and, and I understand that and so it's it's really about catering for the clients and what do, what do they want through that experience. They want to you know, be hugged and kissed and cared for when, when they're doing holistic advice and goals planning but when you're helping with insurance, how do we be as efficient as possible and, and be as client-centric as possible? And that is about going, what did they want? They want insurance. They don't want to care about me. They don't want to care about anything that we do. Um, as much as I think we're super important and relevant, um, they want insurance. They want the outcome from, from what we can provide them. But because we do, I guess, insurance as well is one of those strategy meetings, you know, 75%, 80% of, say, the first strategy meeting is just on the insurance because there's so much stuff to explain to clients, take them through, make sure they understand it, make sure they're happy with the needs analysis that you've presented or make changes to that. So that's why if it's holistic advice, um, we then need to have another full meeting to really go through all the cash flow and the goal planning and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so moving forward, what are you guys thinking about, you know, changing? Are you thinking about adding services to the business like broking, accounting, or are you thinking about removing services from the business? What what are you guys thinking about moving forward, pie in the sky? Yeah, so I guess the first thing for the financial planning business is we want to want to grow the the amount of financial advisors that we we have so there's less reliance on Alex and and myself because uh, at the moment we're we're the only two qualified uh, financial advisors um, so we have to be obviously one of us has to be present in in all, all those meetings so it means we're very very busy and have been for four years so what we're looking at doing is um, bringing up uh, some some people, so we've got two two people on their professional year. Uh, we've a further two doing their grad diploma at the moment, so hopefully they'll uh, continue on that journey, and we'll support them through their their professional year as well. So that's kind of the the financial planning um, goal is to build these people up and then kind of replace them with with new grads or new entrants and kind of um, do do something similar there. Um, so that's it for the financial planning arm. Do you want to, Alex, explain? your vision for for outside of that yeah so um outside of that again this is we haven't fully decided on what we would do or something like that but yeah potentially i think there may be some legs in the mortgage broking um because so many of our clients are like three out of five client groups that will come to see us their goal is buy their first house 
So, um, which right now we, we refer out to, to a couple of brokers and, and stuff like that. But a lot of the time, um, more than 50% of the time, I would say, the clients assume or ask or go, but yeah, so you guys will you will organize the finance for me as well, right? And we sort of go, oh, look, it won't actually be us, but we'll, we'll refer it to, you know, our trusted blah, blah, blah. They'll, they'll sort of help as part of that. So... You're toying with the idea of bringing that in-house. Yeah, yeah, basically. um, Because I said, people are asking for it, basically, and they're asking for it quite consistently. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty common kind of practice to... to, have clients and then build out the service model for those clients. And so, I guess why do you feel like, you know, the client experience can be improved by doing that? Do you, or, or is it just simply we'll make more money, which is totally reasonable? It's both, to be honest. It's, it's firstly like we want more control of the service because whilst the brokers that we use are, are very good and they get good outcomes for our clients, again, we just sort of want to have the control and then you can, again, Put it into your system, your system, so that you know there's clear touch points. The communication is then consistent. The style is consistent the whole way through. Um, one thing, you know, we're probably we're not interested in doing is is accounting or anything like that. Um, I don't I don't want to bring that in house. I'm not saying we never would, but I mean, it's got to have no desire to really do that. We've we've got about three or four accountants um, that we use, and we sort of just pair them up depending on the client style and and stuff like that. I think that would be a harder a hard thing to do. Where I where I first started out, there was accounting and financial planning, and it, in my opinion, the the issue you kind of have is you're kind of stepping on each other's toes a little bit throughout it um, as well. So we don't really have any desire to, to build out, the, I guess, the service offering um, from that perspective. But the mortgage broking, I think, has a lot of synergies personally. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, and, and this is why I like talking to advisors about. Okay, what what are you planning on doing? Because I think. You know, mo- most businesses are looking at uh, like expanding their services or contracting. Like, there's th- there'd be some who are like, "Look, I'm comfortable just servicing my existing clients and, and doing exactly what we're doing." But but if you're looking at growing, it's it's either you bring on more clients or you expand your service. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's interesting understanding that kind of that partnership model and and how is that working and how you know c- can that either be working better or or as a business owner you think about okay, well we can actually just take over that. And and not in a you know an aggressive way or any you know stepping on anyone's toes, but just going like oh we'll we'll start to build that in just to build a consistent you know offering for our clients. Yeah, and the question would still very very much be to the client, which it currently is like, do you have an existing broker? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Are you you happy with them? Yes, I am. Perfect. We can work with them. No issues. Like we're not here to to try and pinch business or anything like that. It's just that a lot of people go, I don't have one, but you'll do that for me, won't you? Um, sort mm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, in a, in a former life, I did broking as well, and found it very difficult. The, the mentality is very different. Um, but you know, my my view on the world is is you either need to build out a bigger team and and have really expert people in those roles in that area, or you shrink your services and 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 partner with good businesses who are doing that stuff really really well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, would agree. Um, okay, so this has been a great chat. Um, before we finish up, I've got two questions for both of you. Um, well, do you have any interesting hobbies? Yes. I'll go first. Go, yeah, go okay. Alex. Uh, I love snowboarding. I, I could talk about snowboarding all day. That's uh, why not skiing? Why? I used to ski. Yeah. I used to ski, and then I changed to snowboarding. So um, and you and you just enjoyed sitting on your bum for half the day, you know, putting your bindings on and taking them off. Look, I'm not 
good at really anything, um, but it was one of the things that I literally picked up like a duck to water. So that's probably is also where the enjoyment came from. That um, yeah, day one I could pretty much do it. So I was pretty <laughs> I was pretty happy then to to pursue and try to keep getting better and better. So. No, I started with snowboarding and then when I moved to skiing, like my best mate was a skier and, and grew up skiing. And when I moved to skiing, I'm like, what was I doing? I can just ski onto the lift and ski off the lift and it is <laughs> so much better. But walking and my in knee the doesn't boots, hurt. like, is annoying, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's funny. So, I said, I, I was very lucky, very fortunate, like, I grew up doing a lot of skiing. Um, my my grandpa, you know, was was a relatively wealthy man, and he used to take us skiing. Basically, that's what he did. So we were very lucky. Um, so sort of from the age of seven up to sort of twenty, um, I sort of did skiing, and then. Uh, yeah, when you're 20, like, I don't know, skiing was no longer cool. All my mates were doing snowboarding. So I was like, all right, I'll just... You want to be a cool dude. I obviously am cool, so I need to change, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. And um, I changed and I had the complete opposite epiphany. I was like, wow, like, this is so much better. I just thought, like, and you don't have to walk around with these big clunky boots on or carry these skis or fall down the stairs constantly with your poles and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Scott, what's fun, interesting hobby you have? Yeah, so for me, it's anything outdoors. So as a, as a sport, it's live and breathe soccer, but um, it's more so on weekends, just going for a, for a hike. There's plenty plenty to do in, in Western Australia. So that's kind of what, what me and my partner enjoy doing and, and kind of the stress release and, and not having to think about the business and just going for a good two, three hour kind of walk on a weekend is what I enjoy doing. Awesome. And who's your, who's your soccer team you follow? Uh, Arsenal. Top Arsenal. of the league at the moment, Great. Phil. Good stuff. Are they? They're the Gunners. Am I right? Is yeah. that what they're called? Might, yeah, mighty okay, Gunners. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big EPL fan, but I'm, my yeah, uncle was a massive Arsenal it. fan. Um, must oh, be good me. stuff. Top must of the be league. A good man. Yeah. Um, and when do you get a chance to do your emails, Alex? Uh, good question. So pretty much, yeah, throughout the day to a degree, but yeah, more and more, it's basically now when I, when I get home and, and have an hour and I'll sit there and sort of smash them out. Um, yeah, that's sort of probably first thing in the morning and last thing to the day and maybe it really just depends on the day. Like for example, the last two days I've had four or five meetings each day, so I haven't really had much time to, to do it, but today I've only got, I think I've only got the two meetings, so I'll be able to do it more throughout the day. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to the set time. That's, that's probably more uh, Scott's thing than, than and, me. And one question I have for you, if you're doing it at night, do you delay the email so they get sent during work hours or you just send it to clients at night? Who cares? I wish I could say I was technologically savvy enough to know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally a button on Outlook or, or Gmail. It's not that hard, but yeah. we'll, we'll work on that later. That is a weakness that me and Scott have, like despite like, well, we're not young, but I wouldn't say we're old either. We, um, we're a little bit ten- technologically uh, impaired <laughs> in yeah. some ways as well. And Scott, when do you get a chance to do your emails? Yeah, so for me, it's it's constantly keeping an eye on it. So if I've got half an hour between a meeting, I'll just glance over anything important. I'll I'll um, respond to or, or at least set an expectation. But we we very much preach within the business that you should never leave a, a, an email unread or no reply for for more than twenty four hours. Even if you can't get to it, just saying, look, I've received your email. Um, I'll get back to you by kind of X, and making sure that you you, you stay to that commitment. Um, yeah. So for me, it's first thing, last thing, and then throughout the day. Um, but yeah, Alex and myself very much manage our emails differently. I, I like to have my inbox cleared, whereas Alex has all these rules where he'll have a folder for each different person and stuff. So he'll have kind of unread emails in each of these folders, whereas mine's just the inbox and making sure that's clear. 
Yeah, so Scott, you're organised. Alex is all over the place, oh, or is it definitely. the opposite? No, no, I'm, much, yeah. I'm, I'm very fast and loose, and Scott's like, <laughs> yeah. Scott, I often refer to Scott as the metronome because he's just super consistent, whereas I'm just, I'm like a roller coaster. That's, I'm up and down. Tell you what, that's, that's corporate. I tell you, that's that's a BDM, ex-BDM, who's like, I need to be organized. Everything needs to be exact. And that's that's a great thing when you've been in small business or in, in the advice realm, it's kind of can be a bit fast and loose. And, and the busier I'm getting, the more kind of hardcore I'm getting with being like on time or getting emails done. Like it needs to be perfect or else my whole week goes goes out of whack. Yeah, I'm a lot better than I used to be for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still do have a fast and loose element for sure as well. Awesome, guys. Well, I've, I've gotten heaps of value out of this chat. I've um, really enjoyed catching up. Um, now, how do people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and, and you know get any more information about you or your business? Yeah, so what, what I would just suggest is, is just go to our, our website, everestwealth.com.au. Um, you can just book a, an intro call on there um, so it just links into mine and Alex's calendar um, and just make a, make a note that you're an advisor or, or someone within the industry just wanting to have a chat um, so that's what we use for, for clients to, to book in with us um, so that's that's what I would suggest and then we'd be more than happy to share our experience or um, kind of help help anyone out um, I'm very much uh, subscribed to the the, 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 the giving and and, and, and uh, kind of mentality and we've certainly helped a few people go out on their own um, that I've, I've previously known from from other businesses and stuff and, and given my two cents on on that too. Amazing. And if you are an advisor and you're employed somewhere else and you want to work for an amazing holistic advice firm, contact these guys and because they're looking for advisors. Yeah, like, like everyone else, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.